Hello, welcome to the new Model Advisor podcast. I'm Charles Wormsley, and today I will be talking about investing, more specifically, how we can mix active and passive funds, as well as looking at the broader picture for the market during the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me is Lota Mental, Chief Executive of Tatton Investment Management. Uh, Lota, I'd like to start by talking about blending and why advisors would want to blend active and passive funds. There's really two um, reasons, main reasons. Um, one is cost. It does reduce the cost quite considerably if you blend active and passive uh, because you are uh, potentially bringing down the, the underlying cost of the investment and what you're paying for investment management down by half. That's obviously uh, always important because cost drag is performance drag. But then secondly, <clears throat> we've all observed how there's um, periods when active funds do better and there are periods when tracker funds do better. And um, I suppose advisors just have less of a debate with the clients if they are having um, a foot in both camps in, in their investment portfolio because um, they don't really have to explain one or the other um, as the, the different cycles yeah. progress. Um, when you talk about costs there, I would quite like to go into that first because that does seem to be one of the key parts of the argument with active and passive. So is it is there, are there really significant savings to be made? Well, I think there's sometimes the misconception that um, your performance will be higher by the cost difference and that isn't really borne out in, in reality. Yeah. Because, Could you explain that a little bit in terms of, are you talking about passive funds? Yeah, obviously it, it depends on, if, if, you're, if you're in a fund that somehow charges 2.5% per annum, it will be a cost track. But in our active portfolios, for example, our average uh, underlying fund manager cost will be somewhere between 0.45 and 0.6, um, going a bit higher in the, in the highest equity. But basically what, what happens is um, with the, between the active and the tracker funds, the main, almost the main difference from our perspective is that the tracker funds cannot access anything that is slightly esoteric or illiquid because the whole concept of a tracker fund is there is no illiquidity in it. So there is a slight difference in investment universe between what an active manager can put into a portfolio and what a passive fund will hold in a portfolio. And therefore, that's where you get the cyclicality. Whenever those things which are slightly liquid, which, which tend to be in the more small cap area, when they have a period of outperformance, they tend to do better than the tracker funds and vice versa. So that's why the performance differences over time can actually even out or will even out and you're not going to get um, a higher performance by say the 30 or 40 basis points uh, more or less fee that you have. Yes, I mean, you, that's quite, quite interesting because one of the big watchwords in investment in the last few years has been looking out for stuff that's illiquid or esoteric, but you're saying sometimes this can be a benefit to hold in a fund well, up to a point. Uh, obviously, yes. you're holding something that, that you would never be able to sell again, uh, as some of the yeah. that got into trouble found out, then that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, uh, for example, stocks that are at the lower end of the, say, if you look at the FTSE 350, or if you go into the AIM market, some AIM shares, um, they can be, um, you know, relatively big, but are certainly not going to be as liquid as some some of the, the companies that you have got in the FTSE 100. So that's where the difference arises and that where that's also where active managers oftentimes add the value that they can pick 
and uh, fish in a, in a bigger pond, if you like, then the tracker managers can invest in. So the tracker yes. funds give you more of a straight exposure to the big part of the economy, whereas the active managers can give you a more holistic picture. Uh, and that, when you get the small cap rallies, can be very rewarding. Yes, I mean, at the moment, are you seeing are you seeing this then? Are you, do you think the current situation is sort of demanding for a mix of active and passive? Are you seeing any esoteric sort of smaller cap funds doing well? Or do you think it, it, everyone's in trouble? <laughs> uh, sadly, um, when, when markets are entirely driven by liquidity, which has been the case in, well, since, since March or end of, of February onwards, then those who are fishing in the small cap ponds are uh, clearly... Um, on the back foot and big um, yeah. and, and particularly when you then get big liquidity injections and sort of um, uh, um, uh, recovery measures from from the central banks, that's when the when the large cap really benefits. And it almost doesn't matter whether you've done your research and you know that a certain company should be better in the longer term. What's pushing up prices is just money flooding the markets, and it. Yeah, it pushes up all the boats, uh, but it reaches the smallest boats, uh, boats at, at latest, and, and therefore uh, active managers have actually not done particularly well over the first quarter. Also, because they were rationally positioned for a economic upswing um, that we didn't have last year. Last year, obviously, we had a bit of a downdraft in global trade and manufacturing. And so active managers this year, after the trade truth between Trump and China, were really sort of anticipating things getting better. And therefore, obviously, when that um, exogenous shock of the coronavirus hit us, it all went the other way and they were wrongly positioned. Yes. Um, you talked about, I just, I'm interested actually in just whether there are any specific sort of stocks that you've thought of or come across that have done well when, when we talk about these sort of esoteric smaller cap ones that you, you found interesting to look into? Yeah, so within our portfolios, for example, <clears throat> we've seen a distinct outperformance of our uh, ethical portfolio range. And initially, mm. think, well, why is that? Well, it is because um, tech stocks have done particularly well, and um, the ethical badge is oftentimes easier to achieve by new technology companies who can just make sure that they are not dabbling in anything that the ethical badge wouldn't allow. So it, it sort of weeds out the old um, real um, sort of industry type businesses and focuses very much on technology. And obviously during a shutdown, technology just does so much better. It's done pretty uh, well. So, you know, you just have to look at the different indices um, from a sterling perspective at the moment. The only global uh, equity index this is up, that, that's up is either China or the NASDAQ. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that often comes across our desk in terms of an argument is the idea as well that perhaps touching upon what you've said there on ethical funds is the active is only the only real way to sort of get a truly ethical or truly sustainable fund would you agree with that or do you think there are is room for trackers to perform that function i think trackers will get more um traction in that field uh, but the, the the issue that you oftentimes have uh, with the ethical is that yes you, you do have to stay really on top of of companies very very closely and that is very active because they might change their profile, they might just not really 
meet your specific requirements anymore. And until we've really got a widely accepted standard of what ethical actually means for, and is, is widely accepted by investors, it will be very much still a, a sort of manual job of, of you defining what you see and what you understand as, as ethical and your, your investors then accepting that. And, and that just, at the moment for the, for the tracker ethicals, it doesn't seem to be met as much as by the active ones. Yeah, and I suppose that's almost one of the roles that advisors can play in terms of helping a client find out, at least for them, what ethical might mean. Um, but for the wider industry, perhaps a bigger question that needs to be answered down the line. Uh, I just I wonder if we could uh, move on slightly um, to discuss as well, when we're talking about blending, how can advisors make sure they get, get the right mix between active and passive? Is it as simple as doing a 50-50 split or do they have to work out what kinds of risks different clients need? Well, that, this is why we have got the whole risk profile range of portfolios. And this is where this all started in that um, we wanted to offer advisors that mix between and having having that hybrid between uh, having a you know, foot in both camps, the tracker and the active world. And that's where we have six um, blended portfolios across uh, the most commonly used uh, risk ranges um, that satisfy most of the investment requirements. Um, for advisors, then, oftentimes um, they might have um, hurdles where clients are, um, if you like, uh, in, in older propositions that are very difficult to get out of or, or that might include, involve if they changed, um, uh, realizing some tax liabilities or there could be exit charges or whatever yeah. else, which administrative. And so we saw that there was demand for that type of investment for portfolio. So the hybrid between active and passive, but not necessarily through the discretionary portfolio route that we normally specialize in, but being booked on venues or platforms that cannot yet or will not um, um, accommodate discretionary portfolio management. And that's specifically where we then said, okay, we'll fund wrap these strategies and we're happy to launch them, even though you know, we wouldn't have a track record because we've got a seven year track record of running exactly those portfolios on the platforms and where advisors just want to complete or have a more comprehensive offering for their clients where they can use and, and offer the same portfolio type across many different product wrappers. And that's where the tended blended fund, fund, funds come in and they are running at a very similar overall cost to what you would have with the portfolio. We're just having another uh, couple of basis points in there for the for the fund rep around it. What is that cost? Just out of interest. Well, we 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 would be charging fifteen basis points on platform for yeah. our service. The fund we charge thirty basis points for, so it's an additional fifteen basis points for holding the fund. But then obviously, if you're holding the fund not on a platform, but either directly with our fund administrator or on a different venue where you don't have and don't pay for the platform functionality, you might not have that 35 basis points platform charge. Maybe you only have 10 or 15 basis points uh, charge for that venue. Yeah. For the cost may be very much the same. Okay. And how is a blended fund made then? Uh, and how does that differ from creating a blended portfolio? Um, it is exactly the same portfolio that we have on the platforms. It is pretty much 50% active, 50% passive. So the 50% passive will always stay passive, but in the active part, 
we will sometimes hold more active, more passive. So the overall mix um, can go anywhere okay. from 40% tracker to 60% tracker and vice versa for the active. What kind of active funds do you hold in there? Oh, globally, all, all sorts. All sorts. <laughs> I probably, probably uh, uh, would go beyond this interview to, to list them all, the funds that we've got in there, but they're all available on our web website if people want to have that transparency and look through them all. But it is, there's some, some well-known um, sort of household names, but then there are also some funds that people probably have not come, uh, uh, come about. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that perhaps someone wouldn't have heard of that you think tells an interesting story? Yeah, at the moment, in this environment, we're particularly happy about the uh, Newburger Berman uncorrelated uh, returns fund because um, we had for a long time been searching for a fund that we can put into the lower risk proportion of the yeah. portfolios without having uh, the yield curve exposure that that makes us nervous with with yields being so low and therefore there being a risk of capital to the underlying holdings and the Newberger Berman fund has done really really well over the last quarter so while pretty much everything else apart from uh, long government bond funds have lost value that fund has actually produced a very decent return uh, with yeah. the digit um, positive uh, return numbers. Um, well, that's, that's interesting to hear, given some of the struggle that some of the fixed income funds have faced recently um, uh, and looking for, for investors looking for yield, having to fight that way. Um, I, I wondered, perhaps talking a bit more, hopefully not too philosophically, but where do you sort of sit in the whole active passive debate? Obviously, you run these blended funds, so there's you know, room for both sides. But do you think do you think people talking about the death of active are premature, is premature? Uh, well, for starts, we're, we're, we're agnostic. We, we think yeah. this is a personal decision that investors have to make. Um, we point out the differences, as we just discussed a bit early on, around the size of the investment universe or the pond in which the investment manager can can fish. So that's a little bit more restricted for the trekker managers, but that hasn't been of disadvantage for them over the last couple of years. And then, you know, the active managers who can really add some significant value when you get to slightly more normal times when it's not all driven by central banks and intervention and, and so forth. So I think calling the death of the active manager is a bit premature. I get that quite a lot recently because yeah. it's always the cliche, unfortunately. But... Also the, the, the active managers have pretty much underperformed for three years for various reasons. Now, well, three years is may, maybe a bit, bit unfair because we did have a small cap rally and they did particularly well there in, in 2018. But nevertheless, you know, it's, it's been a while, but if we go back and we, I always look at rolling three year periods with our portfolios, for example, and, and it just, it just changes um, depending on what is in favor. If small cap and emerging markets is really making progress and, and on the winning side, then active managers will be better because they can get a better exposure there. Uh, whereas when it's all a bit more um, crisis time as we have at the moment, then you know what, you actually get very similar return and sometimes better returns from the tracker portfolios. So that's why we're agnostic and we're saying, look, we're, we're offering both. We're not going to get into the middle of that argument. Um, it's down to you. And is there much difference in terms of selecting a passive uh, tracker fund? Do you, because obviously a lot of people talk about Vanguard, but it's also dimensional out there. Do you, do you have to do similar kinds of due diligence and work on it or is it very much 
a more straightforward approach? Well, the due diligence um, has to be pretty much the same. Obviously, with the very, very large providers like Vanguard or BlackRock, it is a bit easier to do that because there's just yeah. so much available. Whereas in the active manager world, you might be sometimes dealing with very small fund managers and therefore the due diligence work around the operational uh, resilience and things like that might be might be a bit more. But those are things that you just don't need to do any work with tracker funds. Um, they would be very wrong because they are different types of tracker funds. And you've just man mentioned uh, Dimensional there. Dimensional do have an active element in some of their funds where they are tilting more towards uh, various sectors. They may not be individually stock selecting, but there's certainly an active element in there. And you need to know that. And we use yeah. both. Um, you know, we're, if we know, we, we will only invest in something that we absolutely know how it will behave and whether that's active or tracker, doesn't really matter. The research needs to be done. What kind of questions do you need to ask? Is there anything different for a passive fund? Well, in, in a passive fund, you need to know really what index are they tracking. You need yeah. to understand what index that is. And because of various index providers recently charging high fees, they might have their own indices, which you assume to be tracking a certain market, but may not actually be. Or you're dealing with a sort of semi-half um, passive manager, uh, like uh, some of the dimensional funds, or also some of the other funds that, that just have a an active beta, um, smart beta strategy, and you just need to understand how that changes your exposure to the markets just before you have some some bad um, surprise there. But um, just judging by the um, fund notes that our fund researchers write, it is still, um, there, there's less write-up required for the tracker funds than there's for the active funds, because obviously with the active managers, you really want to get a good understanding of whether what you've observed in the past um, will likely repeat itself in the future, which is a bit more straightforward for the tracker funds. Of course, of course. Um, I, I think I'd quite finally like, just like to ask you a bit about what you think of the current situation for, um, I guess, a little bit active management, but also more specifically what it means for, for Tatten and for discretionary management. Is there, do you see it throwing up any issues, challenges? Uh, what's your position going forward? Well, these sort of situations are hugely challenging, particularly when the word unprecedented keeps being repeated and repeated yeah. and repeated. It basically means we've got a very new situation, a very new environment that we need to understand and learn about. So you're very quickly on a very steep learning curve. What does it actually mean if you uh, send the economy worldwide into a medically induced coma if you like <laughs> you know what what happens can you know and, and all these things keep us very busy but they also make clients very very worried and thinking perhaps that everything is different this time and uh, perhaps they can't take lessons from the past and therefore they they should behave differently and that's where we have spent a huge amount of time in ongoing communications with the client so doing things that we don't normally do re communicating with them more fr frequently just to explain to them what is happening why it is happening where this might lead because our experience from the financial crisis was the moment that you explain to people what happens a lot of the fear level comes down and oftentimes or in most cases they will refrain from making that ultimate long-term investment mistake of crystallizing the losses at the worst possible point, then sitting in cash until everything has recovered. They then have rebuilt their 
um, confidence and then they go back pretty much when when you're back at a market high and, and that is in, in our to our mind our biggest challenge together with the financial advisors to make sure that investors do not do that and I think we've, we've do, been do you think you've been successful so far in that challenge from what I can see from our management information yes we have because we've only seen a tiny fraction um, of uh, um, uh, redemptions so we manage uh, around seven billion in, in client assets and during that last uh, week those last two weeks in March we saw only a couple million of pounds being um, uh, encashed in portfolios which is obviously a tiny fraction when you think of seven billion versus a couple million. Great. Well thank you very much for joining me later that was really interesting.